Today we want to think of God creating man and woman. At a relatively recent conference I attended, Singler Ferguson was speaking on this very subject. And in the discussion time afterwards, some very enthusiastic Northern Ireland pastors uh, try to draw him into the discussion about the length of time each day was. Sinclair Ferguson rightly was not drawn into that discussion. He stuck to his main point that the dominant emphasis of Genesis chapter 1 is the climax in the creation of man and woman. And it's that emphasis that should characterize our thinking as Christian worshipping people. Ironically, he went on to say the church has ignored anthropology, the study of mankind in its discussions within history. And that irony is not lost on us today, is it? If I did a poll of all of you today, I reckon that all of us have thought a lot more about how long the days are in Genesis 1 on the gap theory and on evolution than we have done on man in the image of God or what it means for us today to subdue the earth. The dominant emphasis of Genesis 1 is on the end of the creation account. Humankind being formed by God and in his image. And we want to reflect on this and on this emphasis in our congregation at this time. We want to linger over this dense passage of God's word. For if we understand this passage, we understand ourselves, them, anybody, everybody. So much that's foundational to our identity is located here at the end of the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. What contrasts we have here about mankind. Man and woman created and yet exalted. Man and woman dominant over the earth yet dependent on the earth. Man and woman subduing the earth and yet replenishing the earth. Man and woman united and yet diverse. And we want to notice some of these contrasts in our studies in church at this time. Today, we focus on this incredible, insightful, foundational assertion that God created woman and he created man. We want to think of the source of created man. We want to think of the similitude of created man. We want to think of the superiority of created man and woman. Let's think first of all of the source of created woman and man. And thinking of this creation of man and woman, there needs to be this crystal clear understanding of the, the scriptural assertion that the source of man and woman is God. He has made us. He has formed us. He has created us. This is emphasized in the verses we read, verses 26 and 27. Verse 26, 
let us make man. And, and man here is a generic term for man and for woman. And, and that's how I'm using it in our sermon today. It's not distinctly male. That comes in verse number 27, male and female. But in verse 26 and throughout the creation account, man includes woman, mankind, human beings. Let us make man and woman. And if that's not clear enough for us, verse 27 makes the assertion three times. Do you notice it? So God created man and woman. He created him. He created them. The scripture is absolutely clear. That God created mankind. When we move to the New Testament and we hear the Son of God come down from heaven in human form. With his infinite wisdom, with his deep knowledge of God's world and of the universe. He affirms this assertion of the origin of mankind. Matthew 19 verse 4 in discussion with the religious leaders of his time. He directs their minds right back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. In his words he says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Here is Jesus' understanding of the origin of mankind from the beginning. He's right back at the start. And twice over, he asserts their origin was the power and the wisdom and the goodness of God Almighty. God is in the picture in his understanding of the source of humanity. His might, his strength, his design. Chapter 2 of Genesis, which we'll think at off another time, God willing, unpacks for us that incredible work of God. The man made from the dust of the earth. The woman made from the rib of the man. It's not absolute creation as we thought of in Genesis 1.1. It's relative creation but it involves the infinite power and wisdom of God to create something out of something else which wouldn't of itself naturally transform into that other thing. Man from the dust. Woman from the rib. 27 says three times over, he created them. The source of man and woman. Then that famous Psalm, Psalm 100, the, the poet reflects on this work of God, doesn't he? In verse 3 of Psalm 100, he says, Know that the Lord, he is God. What a statement. The Lord, Jehovah, he is God. Well, what's the evidence then? We ask him. What's the proof? Why are you saying this? What's driving this claim that you're making? He is God. That's an incredible claim. He goes on to give the proof. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. 
The poet is saying, here's an act of divinity. Here's an evidence of divinity. Know that the Lord is God. He has made us. And not we ourselves. The Almighty is in a different sphere, on a different level. He performs actions far beyond us. The oligarchs of Russia live in a different world to ours, don't they? They operate on a far different level to our own. Roman Abramovich with his 70 UK properties, with his three jets, with his five yachts, with his two helicopters, with his staff costs of £30 million a year. It's a different level, a different world to ours, and God is far above that. He is God. He has made us, and not we ourselves. Evolution is seeking to pull God out of the picture, to relegate him from the scene. We're to retain God as the source of humankind. But secondly, the similarity of created man and woman. The similarity of created man and woman. Scientists, Christian and non-Christian, you and I, science students, science teachers have all noted the similarity between human and animal. Stuart Burgess it writes, one of the most commonly claimed evidence for man's evolution is the similarity of limbs in humans and apes. Apes have one bone here, so do we. Two bones here, so do we. One bone at the top of our leg, so do we. Two bones underneath our knee, so do they. So do we. The similarity in the skeletal framework between apes and humans leads evolutionists to the conclusion that we've evolved from them, that, that we are a, a higher level than they, but connected to them and origin, originating from them. The similarity is there. And the evolutionists conclude that evolution is the explanation for that similarity. We can't deny the similarity. But we come to a different conclusion. Our conclusion is there's an intelligent designer. And that in his infinite wisdom, he has ordered that apes and humans should have these similarities for wise and good reasons which he has planned. Did you notice in day six of creation that the creation of woman and man does not come first in God's works in that day? There is another work of God which precedes the creation of mankind on day six of creation and it is the creation of the apes creeping things, the domesticated animals, the wild animals. And so it shouldn't altogether surprise us that there is similarity between humans and animals. They were made on the very same day. But our conclusion is 
that the similarity is caused by the intelligent designer and not by evolution. Intelligent design, consider optimum design to be an explanation for similarity in different bodies. For example, in your washing machine, there will be nuts and there will be bolts. In a Porsche car or a Formula One car, there will be nuts and there will be bolts. And the reason why there's nuts and bolts in that greatly advanced technology compared to your rumbling washing machine is Optimum design is the best item to do the job. And so in apes and in humans we have the the triple joint arm, shoulder, elbow, wrist because it's the best design for that job. Apes need it to swing from trees and God in his goodness gave them it. We need it for all kinds of reasons and God in his intelligent design and mercy gave it to us. Similarity is explained by intelligent design, not by evolution. This allows, in God's goodness, experimentation on mice and rats and pigs to be transferable and useful in the human body. Perhaps beyond that physical benefit, there was a gospel intention in God in creating the similarity. For in the Old Testament, the sacrifices which were to be a substitute for humans were cows and pigs, and uh, not pigs, cows and sheep, which have many similarities. For example, Burgess writes, Old Testament sacrifices needed blood to be shed. It is appropriate that mammals have a blood system similar to that of humans. The substitutionary animal was close in many respects, had similarities to the human who had made the transgression. The reality of it, the importance of it, the value of the sacrifice was there for the offerer to appreciate. The source of woman and man, he created them. The similarities of mankind. And thirdly, the superiority of man and woman. This is indicated, of course, in verse 26, in that tremendous preamble to God's work, let us make man. Before God had just announced his creation, let there be light. But now there is this deliberation, there is this pause, there is this discussion. Let us make man. Superiority of humankind is emphasized throughout the creation account. 
He has dominion over the creatures. We're made in the image of God. We're to subdue the earth. And here in this statement, let us make man. But what does it mean? What does it refer to? Some say polytheism, but we reject that. There's only one God. Others say God is consulting with the angels here. We reject that because there is servants, there is creatures. Some assert it's the plurality of majesty or royalty. The queen says now and again, we were pleased to announce a new grandchild. She just means her, but she uses the royal we. The best explanation is that it's an early indication of the Trinity. Warfield comments, a reality about the one God that must wait until the New Testament for its clear revelation is announced here. Let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man. Think about that for a moment. Think about the superiority of man and woman. Here's the Godhead conversing consulting, drawn on their infinite wisdom, let us make man. Calvin comments, hitherto God has been introduced simply as commanding. Now when he approaches the most excellent of all his works, he enters into consultation. And what we find is that in the similarities between man and animal. In those similarities, there are incredible differences. There is similarity in the skeletal layout of human and ape. But even in the skeletal layout, humans are incredibly superior. For example, we can stand upright. And upright posture requires ten elements of design to come together at the very same moment for you and I to stand upright. Burgess says it requires strong big toes, arched feet, long legs, upright knee joints, angled femur bones, upright hip joints, a straight back, upright skull, flat face, fine balance in vertical planes. Not in apes, but in us. And our posture indicates that incredible love and the sign of the Trinity. Let us make man. And what about those hands that we talk to the boys and girls about? Incredible. And another function by which they can perform is keyboard playing. A concert pianist for half an hour can hit 16 notes per second. And every note requires three elements for it to be right. The right place, the right force, and the right length of time. Such is the incredible design and skill with which God has made us. And so it is with our skin, and with our facial muscles, 
with our sounds only humans can speak. All this emphasizes that humans are superior to God's creation. The source of man created man. The similarities of created man. The superiority of created man. Let's then study created man. Don't let this work of God be unfamiliar to you. Put aside the latest novel by Luminata, 15 Things You Should Give Up to Be Happy, and research yourself. Maybe start with your brain. 2,200 centimeters square. Burgess claims it's able to carry out one million, million, million calculations every second. You can take in objects, you can make decisions, you can hear, you can speak, you can do so much in a split second. It's all beside us, all within us. God has revealed himself in his word and shame on us if we don't open his word from one week to the next. But he's also revealed himself in his works. You don't have to clamber up sleeved honoured to see the wonders of his creation. You don't have to fork out thousands to go to the Rockies to be awed by his wonderful works. Just look at yourself. Dig a little deeper. Study a bit more. And worship the God who has made us. Let's worship as created man. The purpose of this design, the purpose of this amazing collaboration of intricate and phenomenal details is not that we'll be proud, but that we'll be worshippers, that we will recognize our maker, that we will honor our creator. A man in Ballyclare came from a humble home And today he is CEO of Talis Aerospace Group. He went for an interview as a boy of 16 and the secretary who kind of knew him as a neighbour put a good word in for him. And that humble secretary's word helped convince the interviewer to give him the job. And from that he progressed to the very top. And every Christmas he sent her a gift. He remembered her goodness to him. And you and I should how much more remember God's incredible goodness to us and the way that he has made us. In heaven, they sing this song of praise. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. We will do that in heaven. Let us do it on earth. Let's live as a created woman and man. We are witnesses. To God's creation. Look at your skin with its three layers. With its sweat glands. With its eyebrows for beauty and for comfort. Whether they're plucked or not. What an incredible creature we are. Let's live as those whom God has made. Let not our actions and our words disconnect 
with the incredible creatures God has made us. Our human frames proclaim his greatness. Let not our actions dishonor his greatness. President Putin is an eighth dan at judo. That requires incredible hand-eye coordination. And yet he can take that same hand which can perform incredible actions and sign documents to bring bloodshed and violence to thousands. And we're the same. When Paul comes to describe universal sinfulness in Romans chapter 3, he pinpoints body parts. With our eyes, he says. With our lips, he says. With our feet, he says. We sin, we've gone astray. This body which God has made incredibly well. We disuse it. We dishonor him. We sin against him. And yet the creator has become the creature. The son of God has become man. And he has taken on himself our sins. But as we confess our sins and repent of them and believe in Jesus Christ alone, we will receive his forgiveness and everlasting life. This week in an auction house in England, a vase is going to be sold It's a Chinese vase standing two feet tall. It's kind of blue. It has bats and storks flying on it. And it's sat in a home for the last number of decades in someone's dining room. And they didn't know its value. But an expert has recognized the seal in it that this vase bought for £200 is worth at least £150,000. The origin, the history. The value was unrecognized. As we leave today, let's recognize our origin, our history, our value created by God.